Getting into today's message, last week we started a new series called The Ripple Effect. We are all well aware that our thoughts and our actions cause a ripple effect that affects our lives and others around us. And these ripples can either be positive or negative. So in this series, what we are doing is we are looking at some faith-based principles that will have a significant ripple effect in our lives. Principles that if we follow them and if we apply them, then we will experience positive changes, first internally and then outwardly. Last Sunday in part one, we heard about how the word transforms and we saw the ripple effect that the Bible, the word of God has in our lives. It was mentioned that if we want to make 2024 significant year, there are a few things that will influence, that will have a ripple effect in our lives that will either cause us to have an average year, a bad year, or a significant year. And those things that will make our year significant are my priorities, my choices, my values, my discipline, and my humility. And some of these are a little bit uncomfortable. Some of these challenge us. But all of these will affect our vision and our investments of time, effort, money, and focus. And the best tool to help us shape our priorities, our values, to guide our choices, and to help us develop discipline and humility is the Bible, the Word of God. The key passage that we looked at was in Psalms chapter 19, and I want to read verses 7 to 9 again as a refresher, just to remind you of what it was that we looked at last week. It says, the law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The statutes of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The judgments of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. The word is perfect, and it transforms us from the inside out. It makes us wise. It is pure, and it teaches us how to live righteously. And when applied, the word transforms our thinking, our behavior, and the way we speak. Our priorities, choices, values, discipline, and humility is shaped by the word in such a way that we find ourselves growing and improving because of it. The word ripples through into every area of our lives. And so we should give attention to it, to spending time in the word this year, more than just once or twice a week, but regular time spent feeding our spirits with the word. And as we do so, let's allow the word to work in us and ripple through us. This morning, we're going to look at another principle that completely shifts things. A principle which flows together with the word. So in part two of our series, we are talking about how prayer changes perspective. See, prayer is a crucial part of our lives as believers. Now, yes, last week we spoke about the importance of reading your Bible. And today I'm talking about the importance of prayer. Now, before some of you roll your eyes at me, because reading the Bible and prayer are the basics. It's Christianity 101. But listen, just because you know it's important doesn't mean you know it's important. You can know it's important and not do anything about it. 
We need to be spending time in God's word and living a life of prayer. We need to give these priority and actually put them into practice. But how many of us are actually doing this regularly? Now, I don't want you to put your hands up. Ask yourself, am I putting this into practice? Am I regularly spending time in word and prayer? How many of us are actually praying beyond a quick, thank you, Lord, for this day or for this food? How many of us are praying prayers other than just our requests, which if we're honest, sometimes our requests sound a little bit like demands. How many of us are spending time in prayer when we don't necessarily need something or aren't going through some sort of crisis? How many of us are living a life of prayer? We know that prayer is important, but many see this as something to do only when there is a need or thinking we've accomplished our prayer requirement by saying a morning and an evening prayer. Many of us accept the sort of lackluster approach to prayer as acceptable, rather than viewing prayer as a way of life and being part of our day. Listen, prayer is not a crutch. It is not our last resort. It should be a natural part of our lives as believers. It should flow throughout our day. It should come as naturally to us as breathing. Prayer is not an option. Prayer is not to be done when we feel like it only. Prayer should be a constant part of our lives. And I'm going to back this statement up with scripture because this is not my idea. It's not man's idea. It's God's idea. Colossians chapter 4 verse 2 says, Devote yourselves to prayer, being watchful and thankful. The direct translation of this from the original Greek would be, in prayer, continue steadfastly, watching in it with thanksgiving. It's telling us to remain steadfast in prayer. And this isn't the only passage that tells us to do so. We also see this instruction in 1 Thessalonians 5.17, where it instructs us to pray continually, to pray without ceasing. Romans 12, 12 says, continuing steadfastly in prayer, being constant in prayer. Ephesians 6, 18, praying always at all times. And we see in Acts how the apostles and the early church were devoted to prayer. Prayer was not and is not occasional. We cannot be continually steadfast only now and then. Now, some of you might argue that you can, in fact, be continually steadfast only for a season. And for some things, that is true. When you are busy with exams, you suddenly become a lot more focused on your studies. You continue steadfastly in preparing for those exams for a season. When you're training for some sort of sport, there's a season preparing for the, the match or the race or whatever it is where you continue steadfastly in your training. But when it comes to prayer, this is not the case. We're not told to pray without ceasing during seasons of crisis or when you are really trusting God for something. In such seasons, when we are trusting for something, when we are going through something, our prayers may become more intentional and specific, more fervent. But 
our continuous praying does not stop when that season ends or our prayers are answered. We are to be devoted to prayer in every season. Now in that verse, I highlighted three words and I want us to look at them quickly and see how they influence our prayer lives. The first one is devote. It says devote yourselves to prayer. The definition of devote is to give all or most of one's time or resources to a person or activity. If you devote yourself, your time or your energy to something, you spend all or most of your time or energy on it. That sounds like a big commitment, doesn't it? It is requiring most of your attention, most of your time. Now, whether you realize this or not, whether you are aware of it or not, you have devoted yourself to something. Have you devoted yourself to prayer? Or have you devoted yourself to distraction? It's interesting that it says devote yourselves, meaning it's a choice. It doesn't say you just become devoted when you accept Christ. Devote yourselves. You choose to be devoted to prayer. It doesn't just happen. You choose to live a life of prayer. You choose to pray faithfully, to pray continually, to persevere in a life of prayer. Being devoted to prayer means making prayer a priority. Being devoted to prayer means you place value and importance on being prayerful. The second word is watchful. It says, devote yourselves to prayer, being watchful, meaning be alert, be aware. We need to be vigilant in prayer, being watchful that we don't become sleepy, complacent, or distracted in our prayer lives. Where else have we heard this instruction to be watchful? If we go to Matthew chapter 26, where Jesus is in the garden before he's arrested, and he takes some of his disciples with him to go pray, and he leaves them while he goes to pray alone, and he comes back, and this is what happens in Matthew 26, verse 40 to 41. Then he came to his disciples and found them sleeping and said to Peter, what, could you not watch with me for one hour? You couldn't stay awake for one hour? Watch and pray, lest you enter into temptation. The spirit is, is indeed willing, but the flesh is weak. Jesus said to watch and pray so that we don't fall into temptation. See, our flesh betrays us. It leads us in the wrong direction. And if we are not alert, if we are not watching, then we can be misguided and fall asleep. And I'm not talking about falling asleep only in the physical, but spiritually as well. And that's an even more dangerous place to fall asleep. So be watchful in prayer, alert to our wandering minds. Have you ever noticed when you stop to pray, how suddenly your mind gets hyperactive and you're thinking about everything else except praying? You're thinking about what you need to make for dinner, all the tasks you have to do, everything on your to-do list that hasn't been done. Suddenly you start thinking about things you haven't thought about in ages. There's all these thoughts running through your mind, distracting you from prayer. So we need to be aware of our wandering minds and bring it back. When we find ourselves wandering, we return back to the focus of prayer. 
We are watchful in prayer to not allow the worldly things, the unimportant things to distract us from what truly matters. And then it continues in being thankful. So devote yourselves to prayer, being watchful and thankful. We need to be thankful in prayer, but as a whole in our lives as well, not just in prayer. And this is an instruction that we're given more than once. For example, 1 Thessalonians 5.18, giving thanks in all circumstances. Psalm 100 verse 4, enter his gates with thanksgiving, give thanks to him. Don't just come to God with your requests, but spend time thanking him. Be thankful for what he has done, for who he is. Thank him for every blessing, big and small. Thank him. We sang this morning in the first song, every blessing you pour out, I'll turn back to praise. In other words, I will be grateful for every blessing the Lord has given me. I will rejoice for it and praise him with thanksgiving. It will not be overlooked. Every blessing, big and small, I will thank him for it. But is this our response, our true response? Or do we immediately bombard God with our next request? And I'm not just talking about a quick thank you, because sometimes that's what we do. Thank you, Lord, for this, but now I need this. But spend time being truly thankful, reflecting on what he has done, thanking him and honoring for it. So often we approach prayer with a give me or help me attitude. But how do you think our prayer lives and our lives as a whole would change if instead we started approaching prayer with gratitude first? When we are devoted to prayer, when we are watchful and thankful, when we approach prayer that way, we begin to approach prayer with purpose. Because prayer is more than asking God for things. This is sometimes where we, we're a little bit misguided. Prayer is a thing to ask God for stuff. But prayer is so much more than just our requests. And when we pray, we are not telling God what to do. Another mistake we fall into. God, I want this. I want it this way. This is how you must answer me. God, I want you to move this way in my life. Who are we to tell God what to do? Who are we to tell God how to answer? But when we pray with a heart devoted to him, we are asking him to do what he desires and to do what only he can do our prayers should be prayers of purpose and intentionality prayers that align us with his purpose in our lives and the world around us now it's okay to pray to pray about our requests we should be bringing our requests to him but our desire ultimately as we pray, should be to seek what God wants for us, not necessarily what we want for ourselves. When we pray, we should be seeking what God wants for us, not what we necessarily want for ourselves. Let's go back to Matthew chapter 26, just before that passage I read, where before he found the disciples sleeping. Remember I said Jesus was in the garden praying before he was arrested, before he was going to be brutally beaten, before he was going to be crucified on the cross. 
we read in Matthew 26, verse 39. Going a little further, Jesus fell with his face to the ground and prayed, my father, if it is possible, may this cup be taken from me. Yet, not as I will, but as you will. There are a few things I want to point out from this very short passage of scripture. There is something that we can learn about prayer, about our approach to prayer from this short verse. Three things I want to point out. Number one is that Jesus withdrew. He went to a quiet place. He went a little further from where the disciples were so that he could be alone with his father in prayer. We saw Jesus do this, we see him in the Gospels do this often, taking time to be quiet, taking time out of his busy schedule to be alone and pray, giving dedicated time to pray and communing with God. Jesus withdrew. He took time. He had a mission to do. He had work to do. Yet he took time to be alone with his father in prayer and in relationship. The second thing that we can see from this that I want to point out is that Jesus was real and honest with how he felt. The son of God was vulnerable in his prayer. He didn't try to sound super spiritual. He didn't try to say what he thought would be most pleasing to God. Oh, Father, I am so looking forward to the cross for doing what you have called me to do, for doing what you sent me down here to do, to suffer for our people. That wasn't his prayer. So it would have sounded more spiritual, but it wasn't what he was feeling. He expressed his raw emotions. May this cup be taken from me. He didn't want to endure the pain and suffering that was about to happen. If he had had it his way in that moment, he would have skipped the cross. He was overwhelmed with, with sorrow, with fear. And he didn't hide that from God. He didn't try to have it all together. He said, Lord, please take it from me. If possible, take it from me. I don't want to go through this. But then the third thing I want to point out, and this is what we need to grasp. This is what we, we truly need to take hold of. We can easily accept the idea of withdrawing and spending time alone with God. We will easily accept the idea of being real with our emotions and expressing our vulnerabilities to the Lord. But this third one is where I think we struggle because this is where it gets challenging. This is where it's going to cause us some discomfort. Jesus submitted to God's will, not his own. He yielded to what God wanted, surrendered to God's plan, even though it was uncomfortable and would cost him. We need to get to a place where we can say, I will do what you will, Lord, even if it's gonna cost me. And when we get to that place, it's not something that will come easily, but God will give us the strength to do it, to endure whatever it is we need to endure. 
So Jesus submitted to God's will, not his own. Why? Because in that moment, he allowed prayer to change his perspective. His human nature saw the cross and only saw pain, suffering, and death. But his spirit saw what God saw, which was redemption, salvation, victory, and life. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross. He saw what God saw. Yes, I'm going to suffer. I'm going to die on the cross, but Lord, I see what you see. So his natural human response was, Lord, take this from me. But in aligning his will with God's will, he was able to see what God saw and faced it anyway. In prayer, we submit to God's will. We position ourselves to accept what he wants, to align our will with his, to gain his perspective over our own. When we pray, our circumstances may not change, but how we look at our circumstances will. Through prayer, we gain a new perspective that enables us to see things differently than the world does, to see things differently than our human nature does. Now, please understand that this doesn't mean we deny reality. It just means that we look at it differently. We look at it with God's perspective. Prayer deepens our dependency and trust in God and his promises, changing our perspective. You see this throughout scripture. Noah's perspective was changed. Who in their right mind builds a giant ark in the middle of a drought? Our human perspective says this is ridiculous. But through God's perspective, I'm trusting you, Lord. You know what you're doing. Abraham's perspective with Isaac, taking Isaac up the mountain to sacrifice him. His human perspective, Lord, why would you ask me to do this to the son that you promised me? Yet not my perspective, your perspective. I will trust that you will provide. I will trust that you know what you're doing by asking me to do this. My perspective is not right. I'm trusting yours. David's perspective of Goliath. Our humanly nature, seeing this giant, this warrior, this violent warrior, <laughs> this violent person, who am I? A little shepherd boy with a sling and a stone. Humanly perspective says that's impossible. God's perspective says, watch me do it. What about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego? Humanly perspective says, I don't want to go in the flames. But their perspective through God's eyes says, I will embrace the fire because what you're asking me to deny is not worth it. I will not deny my God just to save my life. My perspective through God's eyes is my Lord will save me from the flames, but even if he doesn't, I'm still not going to submit to what you're asking me to submit. Mary's perspective when she was told that she was going to bear God's son, an impossible pregnancy, our human perspective says, impossible, not going to happen. Mary's perspective through God's eyes was, 
let it be as you said. Again, Christ's perspective of the cross, the human nature is saying, I don't want to endure it, it's painful. It's an instrument of death, but through God's perspective, it becomes an instrument of life. Paul's perspective in prison while he's chained and bound, our human response would be, pray for me to get out of here. His perspective was, pray that the gospel will continue to be spread and that people's lives will be changed. It wasn't about himself. Some of his greatest letters were written while he was bound because his perspective was through God's eyes, not his own. So through scripture, we see how prayer changes our perspective. We see through the lives of those who devoted themselves to God, devoted to communing with him, to praying, to spending time in prayer, it is evident that that changes things. Prayer that changes our perspective begins with the choice to speak to him, to connect with him, to allow the Holy Spirit to guide us, to give us wisdom and discernment, to open our eyes to clearly see and to reassure us that God is in fact in control. This kind of prayer life is not a passive one. It requires us to actively seek the Lord and engage with him as we allow his work to take place in our lives. I was reminded this week of this quote and I think many would have heard it before, but it's good for us to hear it again. Once a man was asked, what did you gain by regularly praying to God? And the man replied, nothing, but let me tell you what I lost. Anger, ego, greed, depression, insecurity, and the fear of death. Sometimes the answer to our prayer is not gaining, but losing, which ultimately is the gain. We get so focused in approaching prayer with what can I get from it? Lord, what do you want to say to me? It's not every time we go to prayer that we're necessarily going to get some big revelation. But in prayer, in those moments of prayer, we lose our anxious thoughts our worries, our burdens, our insecurities, our anger issues, our pride, because we are surrendering to God's will. And losing those things is a gain. As we devote ourselves to prayer, as we are watchful and thankful in our prayers, we begin to learn to submit every request, every desire, every want to God's will. We start to worry less about what we will gain from prayer, but rather desire to lose that which God does not want for us or in us. We begin to learn to pray, not my will, but yours, and we mean it. How often have we said, not my will, but yours, just because it sounds good, just because we're told to pray that, but we don't actually mean it. But I want to challenge us to get to the point where we say, Lord, not my will, but yours, and mean it. Now, being devoted to prayer is not about rituals. There isn't a formula for prayer. But there are a few things that we can do that will help us as we're developing our prayer lives. Things that 
we can do to guide us, to help keep us focused, to enable us to spend intentional time in prayer and to help us incorporate it into our daily lives. So I'm going to end this message with some practicalities, some things that we can do to make prayer a constant in our lives. So after this, you cannot tell me you have any excuse for not developing prayer, to, for not being devoted to prayer, because I'm giving you some practical steps. I'm giving you some things to do. Remember, don't be hearers only, but be doers. You can sit in church your entire life and not do anything significant. You can sit in church your entire life and yet your life looks exactly the same as the world's. Sitting in church, hearing the message is not enough. We have to go home and apply it in our daily lives. So here's my first tip for you when it comes to prayer. Stop viewing prayer as a thing to be intimidated by. I can't pray, I don't know what to say. I can't pray, I, I don't think I'm, I'm there yet. God is not looking for perfection or eloquent speech. He's looking for you, as you are. He wants to hear from you, not because he doesn't know what's going on in your heart or in your life. He wants to hear from you because he wants you to want to tell him about it. Parents, how many of you want to tell your kids to tell you about their day or tell you how they're feeling, even if you can see what's going on? It feels good when they come up to you and tell you out of their own because they trust you, because they want to share with you. God's the same way. He doesn't want to pull it out of us and he knows what's going on, but he wants you to come as a child to their father and say, I'm having a bad day or my day was great and I just want to share it with you. He wants us to want to talk to him. So wherever you are, whatever you're doing, you can talk to God right there. You want the excuse, I don't have time to pray? What about when you're driving? What about when you're washing dishes? What about when you're cooking food, cleaning the house, watering the garden, brushing your teeth? Wherever you are is a good place to be in prayer. While you do those things, you talk to him. You just speak whatever is in your heart. You can use as many or as little words as you want. It doesn't matter. The point is that you speak. The excuses of not having enough time or not knowing what to say or not having the right words are not valid excuses because God just wants you to speak from the heart as often as you can. Second tip, and this one requires a little bit more intentionality, a little bit more effort. And this one ties in with a habit that I heard about often in Sunday school. Something that we were told to do every day, something that we were encouraged to apply in our lives. And every time my Sunday school teacher mentioned it, I thought to myself, this again? So much so that every time I heard these two words, I'd get a little bit annoyed because I'm just sick of hearing it. But now as I look back, I see there was a purpose why he hammered on it. I see there is a, a purpose for starting that habit early on. 
Had I truly, truly taken hold in that moment the value of this, my spiritual journey would have been a lot further along than it is now. So those of you, those kids who are still in kids' church, specifically the senior class, if you hear your teacher say these words, take it to heart and apply it, because the earlier you apply it, the better it will be. And this habit, this practice, is quiet time. Quiet time is the intentional time set aside in your day to read the word and pray. This is where we put into practice last week's message and today's. The word and prayer go hand in hand. Scripture enriches our prayers and prayer helps bring clarity and revelation to the word. Now the idea for quiet time is not something that we created ourselves. Like I said earlier, Jesus withdrew regularly to be alone with God to spend some quiet time. So if Jesus did it, we should be doing it. And I just want to clarify, because we get this idea of quiet time and we think this has to be a chunk of time where things are quiet. So I can hear the still, small voice. Quiet time is not necessarily always going to be quiet. Because you could be praying out loud. It could be a moment where you start to sing songs of praise and worship and your quiet time turns into a loud time. It's not about the volume of what you're doing. The purpose of quiet time, the reason it's called quiet time is it is a chunk out of your busy schedule where you are quiet before the Lord. Away from your distractions. Away from the things that are calling for your attention. You Block out an amount of time where you are quiet with the Lord, where you are focused, where you are separated from everything and everyone, and you are dedicated to spending time with the Lord in prayer and word. Now, the length of your quiet time is dependent on you, but don't ignore this principle. Set aside five minutes if that's all you have, and you can build from there, but set aside time to dedicate to being with the Lord, to withdraw and connect with Him so that your spirit can be refueled and you are then able to go out and do what you need to do. Tip number three is don't just pray alone. We need to develop our personal prayer lives. It's important. But there is also power in praying together whether that is with your family, with your friends, or as a church, make sure that you are including corporate prayer into your life. Whether that's taking time to pray together as a married couple, whether it's taking time to pray together with your kids, you gather the family and you spend family time in prayer, or it's coming together to pray with your brothers and sisters in Christ. Now, if you don't know how to bring this into an application, For those of you who don't know, we have a pre-service prayer time. From nine o'clock until the countdown for the service begins, we have a time of prayer that takes place in the mother's room at the back. The mother's room at the back in the kids' building, during that time, is our prayer room. And we have a board in that room that gives you some points to pray about because that prayer time is intentional to cover the service. So you attending, you've been prayed for before the service. 
Everyone involved in the service is prayed for before the service. It's a time where we dedicate prayer to cover this entire service, everything that's going to happen, so that God's will will be done. So I want to challenge you this morning. You don't have to do this every Sunday, but now and then, arrive to church a little bit earlier and go join the room at the back and spend some time praying together. You don't have to pray out loud if you don't want to, but you are in a room with others and you are praying. Your prayers are focused. You don't need to worry about what to pray for. It's laid out for you. You pray and together you are praying corporately. You're not praying alone. You're praying together. You're agreeing together. And there is power in that. So come and attend our pre-service prayer times. Another challenge to pray together is to attend prayer and worship meetings. There's the Capital Park prayer meetings that take place once a month, and sometimes it is held here in our hall. We announce it when that's the case. It's once a month, and not every month will it be here. But when we do have one of those meetings, those of you, specifically those here in Capital Park, come and attend and pray together. Because it's not just our church, we're praying with other churches in Capital Park, other believers in Capital Park. And we know Capital Park needs to be covered in prayer. And so there is power in coming together to pray. And then throughout the year, we're going to be having some prayer and worship nights as well. So listen out for those announcements and make an effort to join us on those nights to come and join in prayer and worship. Sometimes our worship is in fact prayer to music. We did it this morning. I don't know if you're away. I don't know if you've ever taken note, but the song, Give Me Faith, that's a prayer. Give me faith to trust what you say, that you're good, that your love is great. I'm broken inside, but Lord, I'm giving you my life. That's a prayer of surrender. So when we have nights of prayer and worship, let's come together as one body to pray together to worship together, to lift up our voices together. Let's not only pray in solitude, but let's stand together and encourage one another as we devote ourselves to pray. That's another thing that happens when we pray together is we can then pray for one another. We encourage one another. Our spiritual lives can be enriched from prayer times together. So let's Put into practice. Pray wherever we are, whenever we can. We lift up our voices and we speak to the Lord. We intentionally apply in our lives a time for prayer and to spend time in his word. And we take time to not only pray alone, but to pray with others as well. Now maybe all of this seems a little daunting still, and you're not quite sure where to start. Maybe prayer is still a very abstract idea to you and you don't really know how to go about it or what to say. Not everybody is solid in their prayer life and that's okay, it's a journey. So if you're still struggling with this, if you're not quite sure, that's okay, I'm going to offer you some, some practical advice, a practice that you can use to help get started. Now remember I said, prayer is not a ritual, okay? This isn't about following a specific step and you will get this outcome. But sometimes we have these little tools that help us to 
get the practice going, to get that habit started before we are able to just flow with it ourselves. And so the tool that I'm going to give you to start praying is pray. Pray. Be like Nike and just do it. P-R-A-Y. To help you get started, this tip, this practical tip goes with just speaking to the Lord, getting into the, the process of talking to him and applying that isolated time, that quiet time. So with this, you're going to put tip one and two into practice. And pray stands for pause, rejoice and reflect, ask and yield. These are just some steps to help you in your prayer to get you started. So if you find that when you stop to pray, you get distracted, you're easily distracted, you don't really know what to say, what to do, and your prayer time is a little bit all over the place, use this to guide you, to focus you, to bring you back to what it is that you are doing, to focus on God, to hear him, to speak to him. First, we pause. It's our quiet time. We take time out of our day to pause and intentionally focus on God. And as you settle into your quiet time, you pause again. You take a moment to be present, to focus your mind on the Lord and not thinking about what you're going to do once you're done. Focus your time and attention, pause. Then reflect and rejoice. This is where you take time to be thankful. You rejoice in God's goodness. You reflect on his faithfulness. You reflect on scripture. You reflect and you rejoice. And then you move on to ask. And here is where we tell God what is on our hearts, where we share with him what is burdening us, where we lay our requests before him. And then we end our time of prayer by yielding. This is where we choose to surrender to him. We surrender to him any sin that we're struggling with, any habits that we need to break, we surrender these to him. We ask the Lord to guide us, to have the Holy Spirit enable us. And we wholeheartedly seek his will and not our own. We yield ourselves, our will to the Lord. So we pause, we rejoice and we reflect, we ask, and then we yield. Simple steps, but these will help keep us focused in our prayers. So as you go out into this week, may you, take, may you make the choice to devote yourself to prayer, to being watchful and thankful. And as you do this, may you begin to see how prayer changes your perspective. May our heart's desire in prayer be, not my will, but yours. Not my will, but yours. Are you willing to take that challenge? Can you wholeheartedly say, Lord, that is my desire? This is something that, that has been stirring in my life as I've been looking at how I can grow in my spiritual journey, how I can grow closer to the Lord, there's a desire to go deeper. There's a desire to know more. There's a desire to have that passion, to 
live my life in a way that honors God, to live my life in a way that it's not about what I want, but about what He wants for me. To surrender every request, every desire, everything that I want, to surrender it to His will and not my own. I want my life to be one that's in pursuit of God and His will. Not what looks good, not what society says I should have or should be doing, but what God wants for me. And my desire is that each and every one of you sitting here this morning, watching online, hearing this message at a later stage, that that is something that the Lord will begin to stir in you, that there will be this hunger and this desire, this passion that cannot be quenched, that we are constantly alert, not falling asleep, but that we are desiring more of Him, that we are desiring His will and not our own, that we are willing to say, I die to self, I will pick up my cross and do what you, Lord, are calling me to do. So this morning, if that is a challenge you are willing to take, if you want to live a life devoted to prayer, to being watchful and thankful, then as we close in prayer this morning, I want to ask you to stand. And there's nothing special about it. It's just you making a public declaration of saying, that is what I want for my life. I want to live a life devoted to prayer, a life devoted to honoring you, Lord, a life that is surrendered to your will and not my own. If that is a challenge you're willing to accept, let's stand this morning as we close in prayer. And I truly pray that if you are standing, it's not because everybody else around you is standing, but because that is your desire, that the Lord is stirring something in you saying, come closer to me. Spend more time with me. So as we close, I'm going to ask that you pray this prayer with me. So you're going to repeat after me. And I want you to open your hands. Put your hands out. This is, first of all, it's a posture of surrender. We are surrendering ourselves, Lord, to you and to your will. Open hands, it's not just a posture of surrender, but it's also saying, Lord, I am letting go of what I want and I am opening myself up to receive what you want. So pray after me. Father, I want to devote myself to prayer. I want to remain watchful and not become complacent spiritually. I want to become more thankful as I build my prayer life with you. Help me to do these tasks and be faithful in them with the help of your Holy Spirit. In all things, Lord, it's not my will I seek, but yours. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Father, I pray that every prayer that has gone up this morning, that that is coming from a heart that desires more of you. Lord, I pray that as those words left our lips, that they fell on your ears and that they will be responded to, Lord, that our lives will be devoted to you, devoted to prayer, devoted to being watchful and thankful, that you will guide us, Lord, that your spirit will enable us to live a life devoted to prayer. 
that we will take this to heart, Lord, that we will put in the effort that is required, that we will be intentional about living devoted to prayer, making prayer part of our lives, not just during a service, not just a morning or evening prayer, but a life of prayer and connection with you. A life in which our prayer lives change our perspectives to see things the way you see it. Father, may our desire be your will, not mine. Lord, may you unsettle us for anything less than your will. Unsettle us for anything less than your will. May we be open to that, Lord. May we respond to that. May we take action on this. So Father, as we go about our lives this week, may we be in connection with you constantly. May we be talking to you about our day, wanting to share with you what is on our hearts, what is on our minds, because you are our loving Father. And Father, I pray that we will seek your perspective over our own, over the perspective of the world, but that we can be inspired by those in scripture who saw things the way you saw it, who trusted that even when it doesn't make sense in our, in our human nature, in our eyes, in our understanding, but that we will trust that you know what you are doing, that you are in control and that you are moving. Father, I pray that as a church, we will be fired up for you, that we will be a church of prayer, of deep relationship, that we will not be hearers only, but we will act on what you are calling us to do. Stir in us, each and every one of us, young and old, it doesn't matter. May we be called to action and may we take on that call. So Father, may your love be upon us, your blessing and your protection. May your spirit continue to guide us in all we do. And may we be fully surrendered to you, to your will, and to your way. We thank you, Lord. We give you all honor and praise. And everyone said, amen. Amen. Go out into this week. Be a blessing. Seek his will, not your own. And we'll see you next Sunday for another encouraging message of the ripple effect. Amen.